Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So we are talking about the word patience, and patience is a fruit that God wants to produce in and through us that we can't really produce on our own. We can manufacture patience, but oftentimes that only lasts so long, and when things become difficult or we face challenges in this life or, or we have unexpected things happen to us, that's where oftentimes when we lose our patience. And so God wants to produce patience in us. It's uh, something that he does in and through us. And we, so we, but we need to sow that seed of patience into the good soil of our heart so that God will then produce fruit. And when we do that, uh, Jesus tells us that it gives glory to God, which is the, the most important thing. I, I believe it's the reason and why we exist is to bring glory to God. And it also proves that we're followers of Jesus. And so that's really what our ambitions are in this life is we want to give glory to God, but we also want to show that we're Jesus followers. And what Jesus has to offer to us is that he produces things in us that, like I said, we can't produce on our own. So the question for today is simply this, is that how do you have patience when the path you're on takes you in a direction you didn't plan? And all of us have traveled and spent some time in a car and going certain destinations and and you all all of us have needed directions on getting certain places one of the things that we love about technology is not only that we can bring you a message like this uh, right into your home but what I think what I love about technology is the ability that I have to go onto my phone type in the destination or the address that I want to go to and it brings it up for me and there's actually even a, a voice, a voice of a sweet, patient lady that comes up onto my device and tells me exactly where I need to go. And isn't it helpful that even when we maybe miss a turn or take a wrong turn, that that patient, quiet, wonderful lady on, the, on your device tells you this, this word, recalculating, recalculating, right? All of us are going through these times where we feel like we're recalculating. Things, life sends us in a direction and things happen that we didn't predict, that we didn't plan on. And so we're always in that mode of recalculating, recalculating. And in the, in the good part about especially our, our phone devices that even when we take a direction that, we were, that, that the lady on the phone doesn't agree with, she's patient enough for us to adjust to our plans. And that's oftentimes what happens to us when we lose our patience is because we're thinking that everybody else in, in our world around us needs to adjust to our plan. They need to adjust to our expectation. They need to adjust to where I'm supposed to go next. And so, especially when you have an appointment, and I don't know about you, but I, I know for me that when I have an appointment and I set a time or somebody sets a time with me, the expectation is for us to meet that time and to be there on that time. And then when that person is late or when that exceeds the time that was appointed, I become impatient. Maybe that's where you feel impatience too. You set an appointment and then you go to that appointment and then that appointment doesn't happen for you at the time that you thought it was going to happen for you. And you and I, I know I do, I become impatient. So what do we have? How do we have patience when the path you're on takes you in a direction that you didn't 
plan. As a matter of fact, there's a story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13 of the first king of Israel, and his name was Saul. And Saul was um, just picked by the people of, of Israel, that they wanted him to be king. And, and God really had other plans in mind. And this was sort of the beginning of the end of, of King Saul. What happened was is that Saul was with his, his army on the, on the battlefield. And they're fighting against the Philistine army. They're sort of their arch nemesis of that day. And they are feeling the Philistine army really begin to close in on them. And that's creating tremendous amount of fear and angst in God's people in the nation of Israel, and certainly in the heart of Saul. Well, Saul is waiting for a prophet, a man of God, God's appointed man, to come and to offer a sacrifice in order for them to have favor in this particular battle against the Philistine army. Well, the scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 13 that Samuel didn't show up at the appointed time that he was supposed to show up, and it created worry and, and impatience in King Saul. So King Saul decides to do what all of us do when, you know, things don't turn out the way that we want them to turn out or we start to feel impatient. He took matters into his own hands. And that's oftentimes what we do, right? We start taking matters into our own hands. And so when we do that, we compromise. When we do that, we get ahead of God. When we do that, we create shortcuts that ultimately will be problematic for us in the future. So King Saul decides to do this. He says, Samuel's not here. I need an offering sacrifice to God because we need God's favor in this battle. And that's oftentimes what many nations would do. They would do religious things in order for them to get some sort of favor with God. And so that's what King Saul was simply doing. We need to offer some sacrifices so God gives us favor against our enemy. Well, Samuel's not there. He's tired of waiting for Samuel. So King Saul takes matters into his own hands and he begins to offer sacrifices himself. He offers the sacrifices himself. Then Samuel finally shows up and look what he says to King Saul. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So Samuel's telling Saul, You're, you acted foolishly. By be, becoming impatient, by taking matters into your own hands, you were acting foolishly. And you, weren't acting, you acted foolishly because you didn't keep the commandment of God. You see, the commandment of God was simple. The holy man of God, who was Samuel, was was going to be the, was the only ones that were allowed to offer sacrifices. Kings were not allowed. They were not allowed. Instead, Saul ignored the commandment of God because he was impatient and he offered the sacrifices himself. And Samuel said, that's foolishness. And as a result of your impatience, he says, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel Forever, But look what he says in verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 
This was the beginning of the end for Saul. And the reason why it was the beginning of the end for Saul is because Saul didn't have patience. Saul broke the commandment of God. Saul compromised what he knew, what he knew was the, was the right thing to do. He compromised that. And as a result of that, God says, I have a man after my own, own heart that I'm looking at, and I'm going to appoint him ruler over my people. And you know who that is. You know the man after God's own heart. You know his name is David. And so Samuel, God, based on God's order, Samuel goes to Jesse's home. And as he goes to Jesse's home, Jesse invites all of his sons, his num numerous amount of sons, to come and to be the next king or to see who God has appointed to be the next king of Israel. Well, David wasn't even invited to that lineup. David was still out tending to his father's sheep out in the field because Jesse thought, there's no way David's going to be the next king. I'm thinking all of my other 10 sons, they're going to be the next kings of Israel. There's no chance David is. So Samuel went down in the order of every single one of Jesse's sons. And Samuel realizes that none of these young men are, is the next king. And so Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, well, yeah, but you can't mean David. Like David, he's just a little runt of a guy. You know, he's just kind of out tending to my sheep. He smells like sheep, you know, all the time. You can't be talking about him. And so Samuel says, bring him in. And as soon as David came into the home, Samuel said, this is who God wants to be the next king. This is the man after his own heart. Well, years go by, years go by, and David's beginning to uh, gradually increase in popularity and in fame. One of the biggest catalysts of that was the fact that he took out a giant. He took out the Philistine champion. His name was Goliath. As a result of that, David's fame just rose. His, J David's fame just became, you know, extraordinary. Where they were starting to write songs about David and Saul. They were saying things like, Saul kills a thousand men, but David 10,000 men. And you got to imagine Saul is the king at this time. And even though at this time he loved David, David became his, his uh, armor bearer. So anytime Saul went to battle, David carried his armor, which was a prestigious job to have. Uh, David also played music for Saul. Anytime Saul you know, felt like, you know, anxiety or stress or worried about overseeing the kingdom, you know, that David would play music for him and he would put Saul at ease. So Saul loved David, but then they started writing songs about how David would kill 10,000, but Saul would only kill 1,000, that Saul became jealous in his heart. He became so jealous of David over time that David's life, the trajectory of his life began to change. It looked like everything was moving in the direction of David taking on and over as the next king of Israel. Everything looked that way. But then Saul began becoming jealous and now he's not wanting to be friends with David. He's now wanting to kill David. And that forces David 
to do something that we all do when we feel threatened, that forces David to go and run and hide. And for years, I mean, I imagine this. I mean, this is the, the intent. This is the plan. David's going to be the next king. This is what, who God wants. And Saul even loves him. And he's, you know, playing music for him. And he's his armor bearer. It's all lining up. But then all of a sudden, jealousy gets into the heart of Saul. And now David has found himself off the path. And now David has to try to figure out how to be patient and how God is going to navigate his path, and how God is going to navigate his purposes for David, though it seems bleak. And so we find ourselves in a story where David is running from Saul, and he's hiding from Saul. As a matter of fact, this story, I think, is so relatable to how we've been feeling over the last 10 weeks. You know, we've been feeling, you know, sort of this, these times of uncertainty. And there have even times where we felt fear and we felt like we needed to isolate in order for us to preserve, you know, our lives. And so we felt these things. And this is sort of what David felt at this time. It was this story is about being frustrated with authority. And then this is what the story is about, being frustrated with authority. And this story about having various differing opinions on what to do next. This is what this story is about. As a matter of fact, this story is so relatable to what we've been going through over the last 10 weeks that this story even has, this story even has, um, you know, the need for toilet paper. <laughs> That's what this story, this story even has the desire for somebody needing toilet paper. And so, 1 Samuel 24 is where we're going to pick it up. In 1 Samuel 24, uh, in verse number 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of, of En Gedi. Okay, so Saul is now hearing that he's in the wilderness of, of En Gedi. Okay, verse 2. It says, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild so this is just look, telling where things took place, where things happened. People want to fact check it. They can do that. This is the details of what, of what took place. Then look, at, look what it says in verse 3. So Saul and 3,000 of his men going to pursue David. Now look what happens. And he came to the sheepfold on the way where there was a cave. And Saul went to, look what it says, relieve himself. Saul went in. He's like going along heading to where they hear David was at, and Saul's like, I gotta go to the bathroom, right? right? Normal, real-life things. I've gotta, we've gotta stop, everybody. So 3,000 men stop. The king has to go to the bathroom. So the king goes into a cave to go and to relieve himself. Now look at this. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. I mean, can you imagine? What are the chances of that? What are the odds of that? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, in, Ge in Gedi, in the wilderness of En Gedi, there's probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of caves. And Saul decides that he has to, according to the scripture, relieve himself. And he takes his newspaper into that cave. And he goes into that cave. And it's the very cave that David and his men are hiding in. This exact same cave. I mean, I'm telling you, the circumstances around that are un. Believable. What are the chances of that? And then it says in verse 4, The men of David said to him, So David's men are going, Behold, 
This is the day. This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose. In other words, David made a decision. David made a decision and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. So you got to imagine, here's Saul in this cave and he's popping a squat and he's reading his newspaper and here comes David stealthily, you know, secretly getting closer, you know, to, to Saul. Maybe he's now plugging his nose. He's like, Saul, what did you eat? You know, I don't know what the, what the circumstances were, but you got to imagine. And so he's moving in closer and it says that he even got close enough to cut off the edge of Saul's robe without Saul even knowing it. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing for us. It's easy to confuse circumstances and immediate desire with the will of God. It's easy for us to confuse our circumstances and what we want now, right? What we want immediately. Like, that's how we want it. That's just how this life has been for us up until this time of pandemic, right? We want it now. I mean, we, 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 and we, and normally we can get what we want immediately. But even in this time of pandemic, one of the things that I think that my kids have experienced for the first time, and probably what your kids have experienced for the first time, is lack of supply. The inability to actually want something and, and, and actually are able to get it is no longer available. And that's oftentimes what we've experienced, and maybe you've experienced the same thing. And so it's easy to confuse circumstances and immediate desire with the will of God. All of us think that certain things that line up perfectly, we think, well, that must be what God wants, right? Well, I want to get that new TV, and I want to get this new big 65-inch TV. And I, I, my desire is to have the 65-inch TV. And then all of a sudden you go to your mail and you see that you got approved for a credit card. And you're thinking, well, this must be what God had in mind. That God, I get, I, that God says, I got a, I, God sent me this credit card approval for me to get this new, amazing 65-inch TV. A lot of times we think in those terms. We think one, if certain things line up the way that they line up, or maybe it's not a TV, maybe it's a car, and you're like, I got approved for a loan. I, I, you know, God opened that door for me to be approved by a loan. He must want me to have that new car. Listen, New cars and new TVs are not the problem, but if you can't afford them, even though you think circumstances are lining up for you to do that, doesn't mean that it's the will of God. All of us look for circumstances to determine what we think the will of God is. I remember when um, my wife and I moved into our first home in Kego Harbor. We moved into our home and I was doing some things. I don't remember exactly what I was doing. I was putting some things, I think I was taking the garbage out. And I was taking the garbage out and a neighbor comes out of her house and she said, um, she said, what's your dog's name? We had a dog at the time. And she said, what's your dog's name? I said, oh, our dog's name is Samson. <gasps> she says, oh, are you kidding me? Samson? I said, yeah. I, she said, oh, 
She goes, that's a Bible name. I go, I know, yeah, yeah. I, I go, as a matter of fact, I'm a pastor. <gasps> Are you kidding me? And then she goes, she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. She stops. She's like, wait a minute. She just had this like thing, epiphany came to her mind. She goes, my name is Sammy. The lady over here, her name is Samantha. And your dog's name is Samson. It must be God's will. Like, this is what she said to me. And I'm like, uh, sure, <laughs> maybe. I, I don't know. You, know. you know what she was doing? She was just putting and connecting circumstances and simula similarities to that this must be God's will. We do that all the time. If it's accessible to us immediately, if the circumstances line up the way that we think, want them to, admittedly, if we want, the way we want them to, then that's what we determine to be God's will. This is what has happened to David. Everything lined up perfectly for David. And this was what David's men were saying, this is the opportunity. But look what David, look the, the way that David responds. It came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. You know why we ignore our conscience oftentimes? We ignore our conscience because we decide that we still want it regardless. We ignore our conscience because we decide I'm going to push ahead anyways because that's what I desire. And we ignore our conscience because it says, I can have this immediately, I can have this now, and it doesn't matter if, we're, if it's us taking matters into our own hands, it doesn't matter if we're short, taking a shortcut and skirting around something that may be hard. Oftentimes, we ignore our conscience. Our conscience bothers us. And listen, when your conscience bothers you, you need to pause and you need to wait. Because that's God's way of saying to you, wait a second, wait a second. And David's conscience was bothered. Why? He simply just cut off the edge of Saul's robe. But David's conscience was bothered. Why? Because he knew that what he was about to do was wrong. He knew what he was about to do would have caused a lot of hurt and a lot of pain down the road. And he decided instead of, you know, murder, which he knew was wrong, in which, by the way, he knew also knew that there was something else wrong. But here's the thing. How did God want to use this occasion? Well, David, for David, men, David's men saw it as an opportunity for revenge. That's the way that they saw it. David, this is it. This is the circumstances all line up. You can end this now. And David, this even looks like God's wanting this. But you know what the way that David saw it? David saw it the way that God saw it. David saw it as an opportunity to show pure intentions. David saw it as an opportunity to show mercy. That's the way that David saw it. And David decided instead of being impatient, and instead of listening to the advice of his men saying, this is it. This is it. Take them out. Take them out. Do it immediately. Do it now. Do it swift. And then you'll have what you've always been waiting for. But David chose to see it in the way that God wanted him to see it. 
David chose to honor the word of God. David chose to, David knew this, and this is so important, that how we know the will of God is by how much we know of the word of God. And even though it feels right, even though it might make you happy, even though all these things that we say, right? It must be God because doesn't God want me to be happy? It must be God because it just feels right. It must be God because all the circumstances are lined up. It must be God, right? But if it contradicts the word of God, then it isn't the will of God. And David saw it in the way that God saw it. David saw it as a way of saying, God, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to be patient. Even though I've been waiting for this to happen in my life and for, be, for me to be the next king of Israel, just like you have purposed me to be, I'm going to wait because I know that if I take matters into my own hands, I know that if I get ahead of you, that it's not going to go well for me, like it didn't go well for King Saul when he took matters into his own hands. And David knew the word of God because David knew the word of God. He knew the will of God even when it felt right to kill him. He knew that God would say, it's not right. And here's what he says, verse six. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. Verse seven, David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave and went on his way. You know what David knew? David knew this. Number one, murder's wrong. Number two, and even probably more subtle, is that taking out who God anointed was wrong. He knew the, the rules. If God anoints something, if God puts into place something, it is not my job to replace it. When God puts something into place, it is not my job to replace what God has put into place. That's what David knew. David knew, God, he's your man, even though, even though he doesn't honor you, even though he doesn't respect you, even though he does his own thing. God, he's, he's, the, he's the man, and so he's the man right now. And so therefore, I it is not my place. It is not my place to take out whom you put into place. It's not my job to replace that. God, it's your job. Wow. What Patience. What patience. It all seemed perfect. It all lined up exact. It felt so right. But he knew the word of God. And when you know the word of God, you're going to know the will of God. And when you know the word of God, you're going to be patient. And you're going to wait for God to put into place what God wants to put into place. It's never our place to replace what God puts into place. I'll give you a minute to write that down. Now, how do you have 
patience when the path you're on takes you in a direction you didn't plan. This was David, right? This is David's life. A, we can either take matters into your own hands. That's an option, right? So when we do that, we, or, or, or B, we can trust God and wait. That's, those are options. So when we take matters in our own hands, you know what we do? We compromise. We compromise. We compromise. We, we, we look for loopholes. We look for shortcuts. I love it. Uh, in these days, people are just had enough and we're impatient and we just head up. There's a couple examples uh, that, that, I, that I read about and heard about, you know, this week. And that was, um, I love one of this, this Catholic priest decided that, you know, he wanted to get holy water onto his people. And he got permission from his authority to put holy water into a squirt gun. Do you, ever, do you, do you see this? Uh, what, what Michael shared that with me in, in a text message. I was just cracking up. And then I found out it was actually in Detroit that this happened. And so this priest put holy water in a squirt gun. And people would do a drive-by. And he would shoot them with holy water as they were driving by. I don't know about you. It feels a little bit like a loophole. It feels a little compromising. But you know what? If he can get away with it more power to them but here's the thing here's the thing all of us do that at times we just feel like impatient we want to find the loophole we want to take the shortcut we want to compromise we want to compromise story I heard this week is also take is taking place in in Michigan is a, a jewelry store a jewelry store, uh, you know, as you know, sell jewelry, right? They decided they didn't want to close down at all during the pandemic, even though they're not an essential service as a jewelry store. So they decided, you know what? We'll find a loophole around this and we'll become essential. And the way that they became essential is that they decided that they were going to sell PB&Js at their jewelry store. And they, they also sold other dry good uh, foods, but mainly, you know, peanut butter and jelly is what they sold there. I heard that they ran out of peanut butter, which is amazing to me that a jewelry store ran out of peanut butter. But in order for them to be able to stay open and sell jewelry, they also decided that they were going to be a food service as, so that they can stay open. Now, I don't know about you, it sounds like a loophole. It sounds like a compromise. You're a jewelry store. You're not a grocery store. Be a jewelry store. But they're like, no, we need to stay open so that we can be a jewelry store. But at the same time, we're going to compromise and we're going to bring in PB&Js as well. All of us look for ways to find shortcuts, especially when we're on a path and we're heading in a direction that we don't like. Certainly, when we're at a place where we feel impatient, we're always looking to find the shortcut. We're always looking to find the loophole. God's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Instead, trust and wait. Trust, trust him and wait. Trust him and wait for God to do something in and through you that you couldn't do on your own. I'm telling you, in that trust and in that wait, God is producing in you patience. Patience that you could have never produced on your own. And it's in those moments, it's in those moments that that's when God is refining us, refining us. So the story ends with this way. It says, now afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, my Lord, the king. 
When Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Imagine this. Saul leaves the cave, heads back to his army of 3,000. David now emerges out of the cave. He says, my Lord, the king. It says that he bowed his face to the ground, prostrated himself, laid flat on the ground. You know what was abundantly clear to every single person that saw that? It was, this was abundantly clear. It was even clear to Saul. Look what Saul says in verse 17. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. You are more righteous than I. What was abundantly clear for everybody is that when David emerged out of that cave, that he was the better man. He was the better man. That made it loud and clear. And certainly when he bowed his down and he, he, and he knew that, and Saul knew that he had an opportunity, you know, for David to take him out and he didn't do that. He was able to show his pure intentions. He was able to show mercy and he exhibited patience through that. And he clearly came out of that cave as a better person. Listen, for you and for me, in that trust and in that wait, it is an opportunity for you to come out of that waiting and to emerge out of that isolation as a better person. My prayer for you is, is simply this, that I believe that in these days is that God is using these days in order for you to be refined. Even though we're praying for relief, God's wanting to refine you and he's wanting you to emerge out of this as a better person. I hope that you, when you come out of this and, and many of us have already began to you know, begin life and do life in a new normal, you've heard that phrase, in a new normal type of way. But I'm telling you, don't miss, don't miss the opportunity that God wants to do something in and through you to make you better. That this was a time, this was an opportunity, this is a, a season in our life for God to do something and work on you in a way that has never been allowed for, before. And this is an opportunity for you to trust him and to wait for him to produce in you a better man and a better woman. That's what God wants. And David emerged and it was abundantly clear to everybody he was better. He was better. So quickly, how did David have a heart of patience? How did David exhibit a heart of patience? You know what's so amazing about scripture is that the scripture gives us what David was thinking and how David was feeling while he was in the cave in Engedi when Saul was in there, David writes down his experience and David tells us what he was feeling. And it gives us so much insight on how David had a heart of patience because David was a man after God's own heart and God's heart is patience. So David's heart was patience and therefore David says, here's how you can have a heart of patience. 
quickly. He says this. In Psalm 57, this is what David records as what he was going through and thinking in that cave. Here's what he says. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. Nothing else. Not any, anything else. Nowhere else. No one, no one else do I take refuge, but only in you, God. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction. This is the way that David describing his season, this moment, this time of running and waiting and trusting. He describes it as the storms of destruction until they pass by, until they cease, until that moves on, until that storm moves on. I'm going to just take refuge in you. I'm going to take refuge in you, nowhere else. Verse two, I cry out to God most high, to God who, this is so important, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. My, my, my cry, my plea in who you are, God, that you are the God most high. No one's higher than you. No one's bigger than you. No one's more amazing than you. No one's more extraordinary than you. To the God who fulfills his purpose for me. And the God who fulfills his purpose for you. And look what he says in verse 3. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Salah. In other words, let's just pause here for a second. In other words, let's just think about and meditate on what David is saying here. And then he says, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. You know how David had a heart of patience? Because he knew the steadfast love of God. David had a heart of patience because he knew in the steadfast, he believed in the steadfast love of God. In other words, God's faithfulness to you is to fulfill his purpose for you. God's faithfulness to you, God's steadfast love to you is to fulfill his purpose for you. In other words, David knew even in those caves and even in those running and even in that hiding and even in those uncertainties, here's what he knew. He knew that God loved him and he knew that God was faithful to him. And he knew this, that God was fulfilling his purpose for him. He knew it. He, did, he never wavered from that. He never wavered from the fact that God never wavers in his love. He never wavered from the fact that God is firm on his love for him and his faithfulness to him. And so in those moments of uncertainty and in those moments where you feel like you're just ready to take a shortcut and to compromise and to take matters into your own hands, David understood, and I hope you and I understand, that it's in those moments that God is fulfilling a purpose for you. That he's got a purpose for you, and he's fulfill, it, it, it's part of it. It's part of it. The waiting and the trusting is part of the purpose for you. So David's saying, I can have patience because God's fulfilling a purpose for me. I can have patience because God is working and doing and, and refining. You see, we desire relief, but God desires 
refinement. And so trust and wait and hang on to the faithfulness and the steadfast love of God because he's refining you, because he's fulfilling a purpose for you. And when we take matters in our own hands and we jump ahead of God and we compromise and we think because we immediately desire something or circumstances line up in a certain way that we think that that's gonna be better, it's never, ever gonna satisfy. Never will. And I know, I've heard it, I heard it. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm going through. I get it, I get it. I hear you, I I know the stories. I'm praying for you, I'm believing in you. But you need to know something. David understands. David understands. Look at the way that David describes it. The way that he, what, what he was feeling, even though he was taking refuge in God and even though he knew that God was fulfilling a purpose in his life. He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. He's describing this. He's given an imagery, a picture of, of, of what he's feeling inside. He's like, as if my, my soul is in the midst of lions. He says, I, I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He's like, this is a, a word picture of the way that David's feeling inside. But the key here is this. The key here is I lie down. The key is David David's the one, I'm I'm trusting and I'm waiting. And I can sleep at night. And I can lie down and patiently wait. Even while my soul is in the midst of lions. Even when my soul is in the midst of fiery beasts. Where they have teeth like spears and arrows and their tongues are sharp swords. I can rest in that. And David knew that it wasn't about him. And when we get impatient, we think it's about us, right? David knew it wasn't about him. Look what he says next in verse five. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David says, not about me. God, it's about you. It's not about what I want or what I think is best. God, it's about you. You know what David, why David had a heart of patience? Because he was, he was selfless. He was selfless. David's like, God, you anointed me king and I will be king, but it's on your terms. God, it's on your timing. God, you have a destination for me and a purpose for me and I know you're fulfilling it and a part of you fulfilling it is a part of that is me running and hiding and isolating and preserving and waiting and trusting. It's a part of the purpose that you have. I believe that it was David was developed as a king in that time of waiting and in that time of hiding in those caves. And when he emerged, he was better. And I believe that that's what God wants to do in and through you. But in order for that to happen, we need to have steadfast love, understanding God is steadfast in his love and his faithfulness to us. And we need to be selfless. We need to be selfless. To the point where David said, and this is where we'll end, verse seven. My heart is steadfast. God, because you're steadfast, I'm steadfast. God, because you're steadfast for me, I'm gonna be steadfast. I'm gonna be firm. I'm gonna stand and, and, and remain patient and wait 
for you, God. My heart, that's where my heart is, God. My heart is steadfast. Oh, God, my heart is steadfast. And as a result of that, I will sing and make melody. You know what David was? David had satisfaction in God. Nowhere else but in God. And no, no one else other than God. What, had, what did David have? With a heart of patience, David trusted in the steadfast love of God. David was selfless. And David was satisfied with God. And nothing else. Nothing else. I'm going to pray. Brent's going to lead us in another song. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for that steadfast love. That love is firm and grounded and unchanging. We're so grateful for that, God. You're faithful. Even when we don't feel it. Even when it's uncertain, you're faithful. And God, we just want to be selfless. We want you to be exalted, nothing else. We want you to be made much of and nothing else. It's not about us. It's not about what we think is best for us or what we need or what we're going through, God. It's just simply about you being exalted and you getting all the glory. And the way that you get glory is by when we bear fruit. And the fruit that we can bear here is the fruit of patience, just like David exhibited in that cave. And Father, we're just gonna be steadfast in our love for you and we're gonna be satisfied in you because there's nothing else in this world, there's nothing else in this life that will satisfy. Even when we push ahead, even when we take matters into our own hands, even when we wanna try to find loopholes and shortcuts, our satisfaction is in you. It will, we will never find it anywhere else. Thank you for giving us and allowing us to take this story and to sow it into the good soil of our heart so that we can apply it and so that we can produce the kind of patience that David had that day in that cave. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, get to lead us.